This episode of the Locked On Sabres podcast is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the app and join me this week to get in on the action. You're Locked On NHL, your daily podcast on the National Hockey League. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is the Locked On NHL podcast, your Friday edition of the show. Joe DiBiase, as always, from Locked On Sabres. And today on the podcast, I'm joined by Rachel from Locked On Flyers. Rachel, how are you doing on this beautiful Friday? At least it's beautiful here. I don't know. What about you? <laughs> well, I live in New York City and it's a little overcast, but still holiday weekend. So, yes, I'm pumped up. Big plans at all for uh, for the fourth? Not really. Just try to get outside, get around town, you know, watch some hockey, which. Yeah. How, how often have you been able to do that on Fourth of July weekend? But this uh, this crazy season has brought us that. So we'll talk a little bit about the finals and. Um, we have had all of really the rest of the NHL awards that we've been kind of picking apart over the weeks here that were released this week. So we know the Norris winner, all the big ones, the Vesna, the Hart Trophy. So w- the Calder, we'll run through those on the course of today's podcast. And then, I don't know, I might have a rant brewing about the, uh, the Olympic participation for the NHL. Uh, Gary Bettman's press conference from Monday uh, with Bill Daly. And then I've got a story here up from Greg Wyshynski that has a little bit of a different tone than what you heard from Bettman and Daly on Monday. So we'll talk a little bit about the the chances that NHL players are going to go to the Olympics. But while I have you, because you cover the Flyers uh, and I cover the Sabres, I have been kind of floating this theory out there that, not theory, I mean, connecting the two in that I think both are going to make the, probably the biggest trades in the NHL this offseason. And what I mean by that is the Sabres are absolutely trading Jack Eichel. It's just a d- dependent where. But one team we've been talking a lot about is the Columbus Blue Jackets. And whenever I've discussed them as a partner, I've just kind of thrown in. Well, and they also might have the 14th pick because I don't know, Rachel, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> like they're the team that's going to end up getting Seth Jones. You know, I'm not sure, but it's certainly looking like they're one of the leading candidates. And we've certainly been talking a lot about Seth Jones this week on Lockdown Flyers and the pros and cons of bringing him aboard. But, you know, I've been thinking as the calendar turned to July, just I have no concept of what the Flyers roster is going to look like at the end of this month. It's anything can happen nothing can happen I think Chuck Fletcher's in a really interesting situation because everybody knows exactly what he needs and how desperate he is to get it and so will he be able to make quality deals or will he lose out to other teams because everybody knows what situation Fletcher is in and you know, is he going to get his first choices for that top pairing defenseman, for the backup goalie, for, you know, a, a forward who's a, primarily a goal scorer? Everybody knows that's what the Flyers are looking for. So uh, Chuck Fletcher's got his work cut out for him. Yeah. So we'll see. They they showed up, by the way, on the on Jack Eichel odds list, at our partners over at Bet Online. Like not anywhere high, like maybe eighth on the list, like plus 2000, if I remember correctly, uh, that I've never thought of them as being a serious contender in that. We've also never really heard them being a contender in that from like the big reporters like Dreger and Friedman. So probably just not that I was thinking about the Flyers, but 
would they uh would they wet their nose in that in that trade Eichel trade market or do you think that's out of there I don't think so I think the cap situation doesn't make it make sense at all. You know, especially with the expansion draft, I think the top pairing defenseman is the big fish for the flyers this year. Right. Well, if you want to get more from Rachel Donner from the flyers or on the flyers, be sure to check out locked on flyers. You can follow her by the way, on Twitter at our Miriam. Um, And yeah, we'll, uh, we'll start bouncing around the league here. We've got the NHL awards that were released this week. I don't, what would the biggest surprise have been to you? I think Marc-Andre Fleury maybe winning the Vesna was a bit of a surprise to me. I kind of thought Vasilevsky was going to come away with it. Not that that's stunning. Um, I don't know. I kind of feel all in all that there weren't any big surprises this year, though. Like Fleury, I'm even stretching, I think, to make that case. McDavid at the heart. Uh, Adam Fox to win the Norris. Uh, Kaprizov to win the Calder. Brindamore to win the Jack Adams. What Did any of those catch you off guard? Yeah, I think I'm with you there that the Vezina, maybe Vasilevsky deserved it. I'm kind of okay with giving Marc-Andre Fleury a Lifetime Achievement Award. He deserves it. And these awards are a combination of stats and reputation anyway. We all know that. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. I was also a little surprised about Adam Fox just because I thought he 100% deserved it. And again, with this reputation thing floating around, I wasn't sure they were actually going to give it to him. No, that's a great point. I, I agree with that. I thought Fox did deserve the Norris, but I was thinking they might give it to Hedman just because exactly. Victor Hedman's built up, right, this reputation that year after year, he's one of the best defensemen in hockey. And yeah, you always wonder about like the the, the voters, the NHL writers that like, are they going to, in the back of their minds, vote with the, the concept of, well, you got to earn it first. Like you got to do your time first. And Kale McCarr, Adam Fox, like they just showed up. This is year two for both of them. Um, I guess you could say it's McCarr's third year. He only played in the playoffs in the uh, the 2018-19 season, but still second year. And Hedman is like, he's been putting in the work for years. But I I am, I'm glad to see that they did give it to Fox because I don't think that's how that award should have been given. I think he, you can make a lot of strong arguments that he was the best defenseman in hockey this season. And yet, I, I would never want to see it go the other way where a guy doesn't get it because, you know, he, he hasn't been around long enough for the, the, that term, by the way, lifetime achievement award, I think is perfect to encapsulate flurry winning this Vesna trophy, but it's not as if he won it just because of that. It's not that he, that Vasilevsky had all of these better underlying numbers and the record was just dramatically different. Like it, they were really close. If you look at five on five safe percentage, they're both at the top of the league this year. Uh, if you look at overall safe percentage, they're right next to each other. The wins and losses record flurry 26 and 10 versus Vasilevsky, who was 31 and 10. So like, again, not a huge difference there either. So it almost feels to me like tie goes to the guy that's never won it before that. Exactly. I'm okay with. Yeah. That, that's where I'm going with that. That yeah. I think all things being equal. Mm-hmm. Flurry, I think it's okay to give him the edge this time around. Yeah. We also have the breakdown of the votes, by the way. I could throw that in here. McDavid gets all 100 first place votes for the Hart Trophy. Uh, There was a Penguins reporter, I think by the name of Rob Rossi, who was floating it out there. I don't know if you saw this, that he was going to vote for uh, for Crosby or that he was he wasn't saying he was going to vote for Crosby. That's wrong. He said on Twitter, like he was making the case for why Crosby should be the Hart Trophy winner a couple of weeks ago. 
And I think a lot of people saw like, oh, this guy's going to vote for Sid. And he didn't vote for Sid, but he gave his vote to somebody who didn't have it. So I thought that was a little bit of an interesting story. So it, it came very close that I guess McDavid wasn't going to get all 100 votes, but he does. He's the unanimous winner of the Hart Trophy. I don't think we got any controversy there. Although, should I even mention this? I almost feel like I shouldn't. Have you seen the Damian Cox tweets on the Lady Oh, no. Band? I mean, I'll at least mention him. <laughs> I'll at least mention him here. That Damian Cox is on this. It's, it's almost strange that it's gone on this long. Like I, I can, all right, fine. You wanted to make your point. Uh, you wanted to send out a couple of tweets the, the night that it happened, why McDavid should have won the lady bang over Jacob Slavin. I think the point he's making or trying to make is that you, the, the definition of the ward includes the most gentleman, any player, but also plays at a high level and who plays at a higher level than Connor McDavid. So I think he's taking the second part of that, that definition more seriously than the first part. But the guy's still out here three weeks later, like still ranting about it. Like I, I, it doesn't it doesn't seem it seems like a weird hill to die on is all I guess I want to say about it. Yeah. And Connor McDavid, I'm sorry, but he has a temper out there sometimes. Yeah. And he does not have a squeakly clean reputation mm-hmm. as a player. So I don't know where Damien's coming from on that front. And it's not like Slavin's like some third line scrub or some bottom pair defenseman. Like he is, he's a legitimate top pair guy. Like he, I talked about the Norris with Fox. He ended up getting a couple, uh, I don't, maybe not any first place votes, but he got a bunch of second and third place votes for the Norris trophy. Like he is a great defenseman. He just might not be the best defenseman in the sport. Like McDavid is the best forward in the sport. So yeah. And you're right about McDavid. Like he'll, he'll throw an elbow around out there. Um, he even had a hit earlier in the year. I forget who it was on that people were calling for a suspension. Whereas yep. Slavin had one minor penalty the whole season and it was puck over glass. So yeah, th- there's not much more to talk about there than it's just weird that the Damian Cox is still out here three weeks later talking about it. Um, and I think that's pretty much it for what we've got on the NHL award front. Again, we didn't really talk at length about Kirill Kaprizov. Jason Robertson from the Dallas stars did get one first place vote. So it wasn't unanimous, but um, yeah, Kaprizov overwhelming favorite to win it. And he, uh, he ends up doing it. Um, all right, let's move on to the Stanley cup final. We are through two games. We've got game three tonight on Friday night back in Montreal, I don't think I've seen any update on what attendance is going to be. I know that Montreal was trying to make a deal with, with the Quebec government to get their attendance up to 10,500, as opposed to around the 3000 fans roughly that they had had uh, for. Yeah. That was denied by the province. Okay. I didn't see that. So that's definitely not happening then. Um, All right. Well, that sucks for the Canadians fans that you're going to have to be in the finals and not get to go. A lot of them. But how about the? How They'll about all the, be outside, from what I understand. Yeah, I mean, almost at that point, it's like, what's the difference? Just let them in the building. I guess it's I don't outside, know. outside versus inside. I guess the air ventilation point is actually valid there, but still, yeah, you're right. I'm looking at even a screenshot now of last uh, of game two, where it's just like the whole plaza is just packed. Um, they are. You, you sometimes you do have to remember and you have to think about where Canada is on their COVID timeline. They're typically a month and a half to two months behind the U S when it comes to almost everything. When it comes to vaccination, they got the vaccinations late. Um, they got, of course it took the, the rollout was a little bit slower than the U S because they got them late. So 
they're climbing their vaccination rates, but they're not quite at the point yet where uh, the U.S. has been to where they've been at full capacity. So I guess part it, some of it is some of it is understandable. Uh, how about on the ice through two games? I thought I thought Montreal and you could just look at it by looking at shot attempts like they had way more opportunities in Tampa in game two. But when when you still lose to the Lightning, when you can, you arguably outplayed them and you still fall. I mean, to me, I, I, I thought the series was over right then and there, because if they weren't going to win that game, I think Tampa is just too overwhelming. I picked them, the, the lightning to win in five before the series. And I think I'd have to stick with that pick at this point. Uh, how did you feel about the series coming in and where do you stand now? I think in my head, I had Tampa in six. And in my heart, I had Montreal in seven mm-hmm. <laughs> going into the series. I think given how the Islanders played Tampa, that there is a way to beat them. Mm-hmm. I feel like Montreal has been doing a really good job of adjusting overall. And you saw that in game two, that yeah. they came back really strong. And, you know, they did have much more shots on goal, but they weren't as high quality as I would have liked to give them those opportunities, especially in the four on three that they just squandered, which was heartbreaking to watch from a Montreal perspective. But the thing about Tampa is that their systems are so locked in place that they are going to capitalize and get the luck every single time. They know how to turn luck into goals. Right. Yeah. They have, they have finishers. I mean, you give, mm-hmm. you give Stamkos that open one-timer from the face-off circle and he's just putting that in the back of the net at a much higher percentage than a lot of players. You give Kucherov that that open wrist shot from the high slot, and he's putting that in the back of the net more than the guys on Montreal are doing it. So, yeah, sometimes it's just it doesn't even matter about the amount of chances. It's just Tampa just capitalizes in such a higher percent that, um, yeah, uh, it's tough to beat them when they when they've got that type of talent. While we're on Kucherov and while we're still relatively close to talking about the NHL awards, I did want to throw in uh, a little conversation about the Conn Smythe trophy. The odds right now at Bet Online are Andre Vasilevsky as the favorite at minus 250. Nikita Kucherov not too far behind at plus 175. Braden Point at plus 500. Carey Price at plus 1200. Price's odds, by the way, are better to win the, the Conn Smythe um, than Montreal's odds are to win the series. So I thought that was a little interesting. Maybe betters are thinking there's a chance he wins it, even if the Canadians lose the series. Uh, I think it would have to go six or seven games and he would have to be unbelievable if that were to happen. Um, How about though, how about Kucherov for this? I know he's not the favorite, so maybe it's not even worth talking about because it's Vasilevsky who's the favorite. But I heard an interesting conversation that Ryan Lambert from Elite Prospects was having with Sean McIndoo of The Athletic. I think it was on their podcast, Puck Soup, uh, this past week. And it was about whether writers are not going to even consider giving Kucherov the the con Smythe because of the fact that, that he put them so far over the cap and that a lot of people in the league are upset with the fact that the lightning kind of manipulated the salary cap rules in order to have this team that's almost 20 million over the salary cap in in the postseason and I want to think that there's no merit to that but I could see that being the case with these hockey guys because yeah, he's been unbelievable. He's got over 30 points in the playoffs already. He's got seven more points than whoever, than who's second, which I think is Braden point. Um, but I don't know. What Do you think that, that, that argument should hold water that 
they should give it to Vasilevsky over Kucherov, maybe not even necessarily because of play, but because Kucherov didn't play all season. And maybe some people think that was a little fishy. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting theory. It depends on who these voters are and how bitter they are (laughs) about what Tampa has done. But again, they've gone within the rules and, and Kucherov Mm -hmm. and point for that matter have, proven their worth to this team and and it's not a reputation like we were talking about reputation before this is actual production on the ice during the playoffs and you know while I think from the Habs side of things if the Habs take it to six or seven price is a much bigger reason why the Habs made it to the final and have gotten a certain degree of success in the final whereas the ability of Tampa is so much more spread out. And that's why you have three guys that are pretty good contenders for that award. And so could Kucherov sneak up and win it? Sure. But I think Vasilevsky, just because goaltending has been such a narrative in this final could win the day. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So would you, if you had a vote right now, who would you be voting for? Would it be Vasilevsky? Probably. Although I would vote for point over Kucherov. Okay. To be honest. Is that, I mean, he's been phenomenal. I, I like when you don't just be a, when nobody's just a slave to the numbers. Um, so point's been awesome. So I don't, what would your case be for point over Kucherov? I just think for me, I look at the breadth of the playoffs and people tend to wait the final and the later rounds more, but I'm looking at the breadth of the playoffs. And I think point has made the mm-hmm. impact over the duration of the playoffs more. Gotcha. Well, that's a little conversation there on the Con Smythe Trophy. We've got game three tonight between Montreal and Tampa Bay. Stay tuned. More of the Locked On NHL podcast next. We'll get into the Con Smythe Trophy and also the Olympics and whether the NHL is going in 2022. That's after this. If you have not tried a Built Bar yet, I strongly encourage you to do so as somebody that did not eat protein bars because of the taste. And as somebody, am I a candy snob? Am I an aficionado? I don't know. I eat a lot, not as much anymore. Growing up, a lot of candy bars. And I'm telling you, Built Bar is a candy bar. It's not. It tastes like one, though. You have 18 amazing flavors to pick from, including six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. If you go for the the coconut almond puff flavor, that is my favorite, and I'm not even a coconut guy, but it's like eating a mallow cup. That's how good it is. Built Bars are also great for the healthy, conscious guy. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for keto diets. For example, the peanut butter flavor, 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, only 5 grams of sugar, and only 5 grams net carbs. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15, and you will get 15% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to the Locked On NHL podcast, Joe DiBiase and Rachel Donner from Locked On Flyers. Let's get into a couple of things that happened earlier in the week. Gary Bettman, Bill Daly had a end of season or a annual state of the league press conference before game one. And the most interesting thing I thought that came out of that was the conversation and the questions about Olympic participation in 2022 at the winter games in Beijing. Now, if you listen to the tone 
and you listen to what Bill Daly and Gary Bettman said on Monday, man, it sounded pessimistic. It sounded like Bettman, especially he didn't do this with any other questions where Bill Daly would go on like a 30 second to one minute answer on why, you know, it's getting tough that we're, we're, it still could happen. We're still hopeful, but time's getting tight. Like that was kind of the genesis of the answers that Bill Daly was giving on the Olympics twice. Bettman jumps in with like this, this almost angry tone that he has to be talking about it and putting more pessimism on it than, than Daly was. So from that, I didn't think it was, I didn't think we were headed towards uh, a likely Olympic participation next season as the league reportedly has two schedules that they want to know which one it's going to be by the NHL draft, which is at the end of the month. So the end of this month, they'd like to know one of them has Olympic, uh, an Olympic break. One of them does not. The all-star game will take place regardless somewhere. Greg Wyshynski then writes an article that kind of outlines what the NHL's issues are with the IOC. Some of them are very fair. One of them is the fact that the NHL can't even use uh, footage from the, the Olympics to, for, for promote, for promotion NHL, the NHL can't even use the golden goal from Sidney Crosby if they wanted to uh, for anything, a commercial for, for nothing. And like, Listen, I don't mind never seeing that again. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, I'm, I'm okay with that, but like, I, I get it from a business standpoint that the NHL doesn't feel that they're getting monetary value back. They're not even getting the, the token, you know, like, oh yeah, you can use our, our highlights type stuff from the Olympic committee, from the IOC. Like that should be a given maybe, but the they put it in the CBA. Like they put it in the CBA that they were going to do everything they could to make that is within reason to make the deal with the IOC. And I don't know the, it would just be very strange to me if, they decided not to go when they made a made made a, a wink wink verbal agreement with the players in good faith, and the players will be pissed. Was it in good faith though? Do you th- do you think what? Yeah, what do you make of the whole situation? Well, I think that the NHL and Bettman absolutely wanted an out, and that's why it's not a hundred percent clear in the CBA about Olympic participation. And I think that it's very possible because the IOC is a powerful organization and they throw their weight around all the time and dealing with a big business that's maybe not on the same level as the IOC, but similar in its breach, that it's a, they're butting heads. And what I can see Gary Bettman doing is trying to negotiate the footage rights and the licensing and all that other stuff you're talking about for marketing and promotion, not getting it, but using the COVID insurance cost as an excuse to pull out. Wyshynski, I forgot, I didn't even get to the punchline there. In his story, he said by talking to sources within the league, he believes that they still are going. That's good to hear for me, by the way, because as a massive international hockey fan that loves the world juniors every year. Cause it's really the closest that we get to anything that's like ultra competitive. 
We haven't seen the Olympics in so long. And this is the best U.S. hockey team they could ever put on the ice. At least in my lifetime, I think it's the best U.S. hockey team they could ever have. Matthews at center and Eichel and Larkin. And you've got both Kachucks and you've got Goudreau. And you've got all these defensemen, Wierenski, Seth Jones. You've got Hellebuck and John Gibson. Like, I just want to see that team on the ice against Canada, even if it's going to be at 4 o'clock in the morning, whatever it's going to be, because the games are in China. That, by the way, is another part of this. How does the NHL look at the financial part of this? Do they look at the short term, like you're talking about with the insurance and the the ability to want to use stuff as promotion? Do they want to continue to market to an area of the world in which they have been trying to market to? They've been trying to grab China as a fan base or at least build a fan base there. They went over there a couple of years ago, played a couple of preseason games. They have upped their marketing dollars over in China. They've been trying to make the same way the NBA has done it. They've been trying to make that area of the world um, more like another uh, money pool that they can uh, revenue that they can get in. So what better way to, to grow your game and to market your game to that area of the world specifically than to send your players to the best or the most recognizable tournament that there is on the globe. So I think even on the long-term financials point of view, it makes a lot of sense for the NHL to go, but Man, Bettman especially. He's the one that's really holding me back from that. Even reading Wyshynski saying, like, the people he talks to in the league think that they're still going. Bettman just sounded so against it that I wonder if if he himself, if he was the only person in the room, NHLPA, Bill Daly, if, if the IOC, if Bettman is the only one in the room that hates the deal and wants to blow it all up, that they won't go just because he'll 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 say so. So that's it's entirely word. possible. I mean, he's the kind of guy that would do that. I think it makes sense for the league overall for them to go. I'm also keeping my eye on and, you know, in the corner of my eye about the human rights issues and right. the political issues and what's going to happen around that, because I'm actually more interested in what Canada wants to do as a government mm-hmm. uh, related to that than the U.S. right now. But right. I don't know. We'll see. There's so many factors going on. It's hard to tell what's going to happen. Right. That was referenced in Wyshynski's piece too, by the way, that there is still a potential for Canada and or the U.S. uh, boycotting the Olympics, which I don't think has happened since the 80 Olympics in Moscow. Yeah. And we still would have been in the, in the middle of the cold war at that point. So there was a lot of maybe different uh, things going on than just then not just, but then human rights issues, which is the, the problem at hand here that's going on in China. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, right. This might all be a moot point. It might not matter because, you know, if the U.S. and Canada aren't, aren't in it because of that, then they're certainly not sending them for, for so that Zemgis Gergensen's can play for Latvia. Yeah. Um, I should say the 84 yeah. Summer Olympics were boycotted by the Soviet bloc, but we're talking Winter Olympics here. So that's right. That's right. Um, okay. And then last thing on today's episode, just a little bit of housekeeping to, to, to get this trade uh, through on the podcast. Victor Arvidsson sends or goes from the Nashville Predators to the Los Angeles Kings for a second and a third round pick. Didn't that strike you as being weird that he went for that little? Well, given Arvidsson's stats this past season, you know, I'm not totally surprised. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that, you know, the Kings had picks in those rounds already from other deals. So this is, they're losing almost nothing to get a player that's had a rough go of it this past year and is a bit of a risk. Mm-hmm. 
you know, okay. I, I think that it bodes well for me as a Flyers fan looking at this kind of deal saying, oh, well, if they can get somebody that has a lot of potential, but is a little bit risky for this lower cost, maybe the Flyers can actually get somebody. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's uh, 25 points in 50 games for Arvidsson last year. That is a big drop off over where he had been a couple years before that 48 points in 58 games, 61 points in back to back years. And the goal scoring rate had come down even more, just 10 Last yeah, like cut in half. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. And that's really what he is. I mean, he's a goal scorer at this point, or really he always has been. The one thing that that trade does tell me is that it, it gives it gives us a view into what the Kings are trying to be. I think they are they've been rumored to be in the Jack Eichel sweepstakes. And there have been some reporters, John Hovind's one from out in L.A. that is kind of pushed back against the idea that the Kings will really go for that. And maybe the wonder has been, well, what do they see themselves as? Do they see themselves as a team that needs to rebuild? Or are they a team that wants to take one last swing at it with their their aging core? Jonathan Quick is not really part of their core anymore. He's backing up Cal Peterson uh, at this point at 35 years old. Drew Doughty's 31. I mean, he's not, I don't think he's the elite defenseman that he was a couple of years ago, but he's still pretty good. And he's got seven years left in his deal, 11 million per. Um Anze Kopitar is still near the top of the sport. I think when it comes to centermen, Dustin Brown even had a resurgence in his career, but he's 36. Like that, that wall is coming at some point again. Um, Even like Alex Iafolo, who's been playing on their top line is 28 years old. Like, are they going to take one last run with their, their current guys? And that's kind of been the argument is, well, if, they do want to do that, then they'll go trade for a Jack Eichel. If they don't, well, they're not giving up Quentin Byfield. They're not giving up Alex Turcott or the eighth overall pick. They're going to try to kind of maybe boost up their, their future of the organization with some future assets. Them trading for Arvidsson maybe just pushes me a little bit more towards, all right, the Kings think they can be, they could, they can make one more run um, because he's not young either. He's 28, going to be 29. So, and he's got three years left at 4.25 million. So is that, is that how you see it too? You think the Kings are probably going to try to make one more playoff run here? I think so. I think also they're probably willing to give up one of the aging veterans in their core to make room for a Jack Eichel because they know they have those youth players coming up that are super cheap and will absolutely be starting to contribute more significantly in this upcoming year. Right. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much it for the big headlines of the league this week. Uh, again, if you want to check out more on the Flyers, uh, be sure to follow Rachel on Twitter at our Miriam. Uh, and you can check out Locked on Flyers, of course, for uh, the latest daily news on Philadelphia, whether they're going to be in on uh, Seth Jones. We'll see. The, the Flyers are always have they ever had an offseason where they didn't do something big? Well, it's been kind of quiet over the last several years. The Paul Holmgren effect kind of went away. So this is kind of the first year where it seems like it'll be another big summer. Right. Maybe Pittsburgh's going to be the team that's like that now in the state because of uh, of Brian Burke and Ron Hex. Yeah. Might be more likely. All right. Well, thanks again, Rachel, for uh, jumping on the show today. My pleasure. That is Rachel Donner. You can follow her on Twitter again at our Miriam forced for Joe DiBiase. Follow me on Twitter at sneaky Joe sports. You can follow the podcast account at locked on NHL pods. I will be back on Tuesday with Mike DeStefano from locked on Leafs. And we'll continue to go over the Stanley cup final, unless there's a sweep, I guess it could be over by then, but uh, let's hope Montreal gets a game to, to keep it going. So I'll talk to you on Tuesday here on the locked on NHL podcast, part of the locked on podcast network.